Well, if you do have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be looking, beginning actually, at John chapter 4 and then moving around from there, if you want to follow, or if you just want to listen, you can do that as well. Let us seek the Lord and ask Him to uh, bless His Word this morning. Oh Lord God, we praise You and we delight in You. We thank You because You are our God and we belong to You because we're united to Your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Father, we praise You and we thank You so much that we have this incredible privilege of coming into your presence with your people, gathered in your name, to seek you, to delight in you, to praise you, but to receive your word, to receive your goodness, to receive from you life and health and healing and forgiveness and correction and instruction and rebuke so that we might be remade into the image of Christ Jesus our Lord. We praise you for this incredible privilege, and I ask, Lord, right now that you would work in and through me, that you would minister to your people here this morning, that all of us would be edified and encouraged. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I was to ask you right now, what is the mission of the church? Is it clearly and simply in your mind, you quickly say, we know it, I know what the mission of the church is, because our Lord Jesus Christ gave it to us. He gave it to us plainly and simply and clearly. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's it. That's what he said to go and do. So if there should never be a question or a doubt if we ever wonder and sit around and think, hey, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of Redeemer? What are we about? Like, what is our thing? It primarily, our thing has to be the mission that we've been given is to go and disciple the nations, to go and make disciples of all nations. And this is what not, not only our Lord Jesus commissioned us to do, it's actually the model that he gave us. He showed it, this is what we've come to do. The master, God reveals to us. He shows his people what it means to be on mission, what he wants to do in this world, what he's planning to do, what he's coming, he came to do through his son and then through his body, the church. The series that we're in is all about us becoming a church that is on that very mission. And as I mentioned last week, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, God shows us this perfect example of what this means, what this looks like. We looked at the first aspect of ministry Jesus engaged in, where he went out into the communities, saw the needs of the people around him. That's what we looked at and talked about. He sees the needs, he sees people, he sees what's going on, and, and he heals the blind, and he restores the hearing to the deaf. And he lifts up the sick. And he casts out demons. And we see a couple of times in the gospel that he even feeds thousands of people with bread and fish. He's, he sees the people. His heart goes out to him. And, and often, I love the, the picture that you, you can see in John where he's looking at Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you 
together. My heart breaks for you. I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. There's his compassion on Jerusalem. His heart looks out and he breaks and he sees the people and he sees how darkness they are. He sees that they're lost. He sees that they're under the dominion and rule of Satan. He sees that they're they're wandering around and they have no, they're like sheep without a shepherd, he says. And when you see sheep without a shepherd, they're just lost. They're just going all over the place. They get in trouble constantly. They end up in problems. They end up dead. They end up, they end up, uh, not finding food, can't find drink. They're, they're animals that need a lot of penning in and guidance and direction and help. And so as we look carefully at the ministry of Jesus, we see him on mission. We see his heart for this, this world. And then we actually, when we see him going and doing this mission, we see this, we learn tremendous amounts of wisdom in the way that he does this. This morning, we're going to look at this, at how Jesus would deal with people differently in personal conversation than he would when he was making public proclamation. These were two different things, and he, and he handled it quite differently in each case. Yet, in both situations, one of the things he would do is he would observe carefully their response to him and then deal with them accordingly. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, these three aspects of the personal conversations of Jesus, the public proclamations of Jesus, and then how he would see what was going on in their lives and respond to that. Because in there lies tremendous amounts of wisdom as we move forward and seek to get on mission ourselves. The first thing I want us to look at is Jesus and his personal conversations. One thing you will notice in Jesus' ministry is that in his personal conversations, he wouldn't preach the gospel. It wasn't the time for him to go about preaching. This is very important to understand. He would often investigate with questions or stir them up to make certain statements, and and sometimes say one or two things and leave, be completely done. What's even more amazing is how he would never try to make the presentation or go for the close or see if they would like to invite him into their heart. In most cases, he would leave people with simple statements that were were actually designed just to make them think or to really question their presuppositions or where they're coming from. And there are several examples we could look at, but we're going to look at a couple this morning. And the first one here is in John chapter 4, I think one of the best ones, because it really lets us inside of the conversation really well, with Jesus and the woman at the well. John 4, verses 1, all the way through 26. Jesus here meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And then he asks her for a drink. And and this is where, and and she's a little amazed. And we can see this interaction. Look at verse 7 real quickly. This is where this interaction begins. And the woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria asked him, How is it that you, 
being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. You're breaking all conventions, Jesus. Man, woman, Jew, Samaritan. What are you doing? How is this possible? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, she goes on to say. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of the water, of this water here in this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will come in, uh, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor have to come here to draw water. Now, there's so much going on here. There's so much context that would be wonderful to dive into because this, is, this conversation is just full of cultural issues. But one thing I do want us to see here and note is that Jesus in his conversation, if you notice in this conversation, he has no other agenda here but to draw this woman out. Because as we, if we read on, if we were to read on, we'd see that he ends up talking to her about right after this. He says, hey, yeah, go get your husband. And he, why does he ask that? Well, he knows she has no husband and she's actually had five and the one she's with now is not her husband. And then, and then we know in the story, he quick, she quickly turns it around and she wants to start talking about places of worship. And then Jesus, what does he do if you follow it? Well, let's talk about places of worship. And so this conversation meanders around and he doesn't try to convert her, nor does he try to teach her everything she needs to know. He simply has a short conversation with her, reveals some things to her about her, teaches her a couple things, and then, he, and then he moves on. And then she goes on just from this interaction. She's blown away, and it says that she goes and tells all, a whole bunch of people back in Samaria that she thinks she's met the Messiah because he reveals to her things that all these things about her that she didn't tell him. So here we see a conversational example of Jesus in conversation. And when you see him in conversation, let me ask you this. Does Jesus try to give her a gospel presentation? Does Jesus try to get her to the place like here? I got, I've got this, uh, it starts with sin. And then when we move from sin, we get, then we get to, uh, the cross and the necessity of sacrifice for your sins. And then, and then when we talk about belief to apply this to your life and you need to believe it and then not just believe it, but you also have to repent of your sins. And then if you, when you understand that, are you ready to pray? There's none of that, is there? 
there's, it's not like that at all. We could look at another example, the rich young ruler. In Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 24, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I'll summarize it for you for the sake of time. So Jesus encounters this rich young ruler who comes to this, and, and he says to him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, you know the law, what does it say? Well, you, sh- you know, you should have no other gods before me, not, not murder, honor mother and father. And he goes down the list of laws, and, and Jesus says, okay, keep those, and you'll do well. And the guy says, well, I've kept these from my birth. Oh, <laughs> really? Okay, it would have. I would have loved to see Jesus' expression. Like at that moment, it was it was he got like, oh, okay, or like what was? It? You kept these from your birth. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I have one thing for you then. And so what he, you know, it's interesting. You know what he asks, and we all know what he asks. He says, go, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Do you realize you're thinking, what does that have to do with the list of commandments? It has everything to do with it. It says the, it's the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay. Let's just start with number one. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. We'll see who your God is. And he was sad. And he walked away. And so this conversation, we see this interplay where G- all, Jesus, watch how clever he is. He doesn't, he, he, he's very perceptive watching what a person's saying. And it's interesting that we can miss the fact that he actually does start right at the top and he's addressing the issue of the first commandment. But he's addressing it in a way that's not Direct, it's indirect, because we know, as Paul says, covetousness is idolatry. And so he nails them at the heart of it, but who your God is, young ruler, is not the Lord your God, and you violate, you fail question one on the catechism. And so they have, this exchange goes back and forth, and Jesus lets it rest there. The guy, he, the guy just, he, he stopped in his tracks, kind of probably said, okay. And, and then he, he's saddened by this, this confrontation of the reality of what's going on in here, and, and, he, and he walks away. And then Jesus doesn't say, hey, 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 just stop, wait a second, Let, let's go over um, some things, and I'll show you that, you know, if you really come to see and understand this gospel presentation, that you will see that at the end, you, you know, there is, Salvation, if you would repent and believe. He doesn't do any of that. He simply leaves them because he knows that 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 word, that one word he gave them right there is enough to work in his heart. That guy's gonna, he's gonna be tossing and turning all night, probably over this, the statement Jesus made. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He's like, what? And so Jesus is masterful. If you watch him in these conversations, you can go throughout the, the text of scriptures. You can even see when he engages the Pharisees. When he's dealing and he sees someone who's totally hard-hearted, he doesn't try his, uh, he doesn't, so now it's time for apologetics. And I will argue with this guy and prove that he's wrong, that I'm right, and I'll reason him all the way into the kingdom. No, he sees, okay, hard-hearted fool. And 
What does he say to people like that? Sometimes just one word statement. Sometimes he says really bold things like, you whitewashed tombs. You're all white and nice on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Have a nice day. (laughs) Or you bag sack of snipers. That's what you are, a big bag of venomous snakes. Have a nice day. And he moves on. And you watch this wisdom. Watch him with the woman at the well. Watch him with the rich young ruler. Watch him with the Pharisees. Watch him with these different people. And and when he's in conversation, he's connecting and relating to them and seeing where they're at. He's not trying to close deals, give presentations, or or get it all done. He's acting like a human, and he's very interactive, and he's where, where people are at, and he follows the conversation. He deals with the conversation at hand. He start, in a lot of cases, they're starting it, and sometimes he's starting it, and, and he's just going with the situation. That's Jesus in conversation. And this is one of the, this is the wisdom we need to gain, because this is important, because often, what are we taught in evangelistic training? You go buy an evangelistic book. I've read most of them. I've read a lot of them. And, and the thing you're taught is how to present the gospel to people. But yet most of us, the majority of our encounters are conversations. They aren't, they aren't public proclamations. And no, this is, this is, these are two different things. This, and this creates problems. When we can't discern these two different things, it creates a problem because when Christians seek to bring a proclamation of the gospel in the midst of a private conversation, it never works. It always gets weird. It always gets awkward because conversations are designed to meander. They're designed to, to interact and interplay with each other where you see where a person's at or you ask how somebody's doing. They say fine. And, and you, and you meander around depending on where it goes. Natural conversations can start off talking about how your day's doing and you can end up sharing with one another what a train wreck your week was. And, and then you can, you can't even figure out sometimes how you got there. That's how conversations go. And whenever somebody has an agenda in a conversation, when everyone starts like preaching at you, you all of a sudden like you got, feels like you got invited to an Amway meeting and someone, it was a bait and switch going on. Ever been there? Friend just invites you over for coffee and, and there's several others that were invited <laughs> and there's chairs lined up and a whiteboard. <laughs> Oh, great. And this is what we have to understand. Conversation is not proclamation. Don't try to be, take a presentation of the gospel and give it to people in conversation. It gets weird. You're uninvited. I didn't ask for you to start declaring the gospel to me, and so why are you? Now, if they said, would you please explain to me, I don't understand it, from start to finish, just to thoroughly explain to me exactly what you believe about the gospel. That's different. Go for it. But don't try to find ways and tricks. Man, I sure wish I had to read another book. How do you get into the gospel conversations? Man, read. This was me. I used to do this. 
And, and then, and then you get this agenda in your head, and now you try to bring it into conversation. And I, and I know what it feels like to make an awkward, weird, uh, awkward, an, a conversation weird and awkward. <laughs> I know how to make an awkward, weird. <laughs> uh. <laughs> because, and here's part of the problem. I, for years, I thought I had an obligation to preach the gospel to people. And if I wasn't declaring the gospel, I'm somehow a failure. I'm not like, I'm not out there doing my job. And because everybody t- takes this, gets this pressure from people to think that that's what it means to be on mission is you have to go and declare and preach the gospel. But until we understand the difference and see the wisdom of Jesus, just walk with him through the pages. He's so wise. And you'll see the difference in conversation as compared to public proclamation. Private conversation, public proclamation. When I'm up here in this pulpit and I'm declaring the gospel and I'm preparing, this is completely different and it ought to be than when I'm in the a living room with you guys and having coffee and talking. And if there's no difference, it's weird. And then when you read the gospel, you'll see, oh, yes, there is a difference. And I think what happens is as people get converted, they meet Jesus, they're so, so excited. And, and then they're told, you just got to go tell everybody. And they just can't wait to tell people. And they just go preaching everywhere and offend a bunch of people. And, and then they lose some friends and they're wondering what happened. And, and, and then they back off because it got awkward and weird. And now they're in this place where they don't know what to do. They don't want to say anything. You don't ever, don't ever bring it up. Well, that's not true. You can actually, if you know how to have conversation, you can have conversation about spiritual things all the time. You can ask people what, ask them what they believe about God. They'll believe something and tell you. And you can have a, a, a conversation that talks about God and maybe angels and demons and who knows where it'll go. But it's a conversation. And you never have to, as long as you don't have an agenda or something you want to jam down somebody or really get them to, a place you want to get them to, you can have a conversation. You'd be amazed. You can talk about politics even as long as you don't have an agenda you're trying to push, but you just want to learn where somebody's at and talk about it. And like, oh, that's interesting. Well, what about this? Hmm. Hmm. It's okay to find out where people are at. And you will find that if you learn how to have, just have conversations and be okay with talking about water and then talking about the five husbands and then talking about places of worship and then moving on, you can talk about stuff. But just, just so you know, there's a difference between conversation and proclamation. So now let's, let's, proclamation's important. I want us to see that. Let's move on to that aspect of it where we look at Jesus and his public proclamation. And Luke, turn to Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, this whole section here, Jesus is in ministry to people, but I want us to read in particular the goal of his ministry and see that proclamation was a primary aspect of his particular ministry. What Jesus, the Messiah, was called to. In chapter 4, verse 40, it says this, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, 
When it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and a crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now what I want us to notice here is this, this together brings together what we talked about last week. Jesus went out. Look what he does. The first, he goes out and he ministers to the needs of the people. And a crowd is gathered, and then he says, and, 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 and there's times you read the gospel where the crowd is gathered, and he proclaims and declares to them, he pre- presents to them, he preaches to them. And he says, this is why I was called. This is the, the ministry I was called to, to heal the sick, to, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, and to declare the good news of the kingdom. So we can't, we can't ever think that, oh, Jesus was just here to take care of physical needs and blindness and hearing and sicknesses, disease and demons, and that was it. No, we know. I mean, one of the major priorities of Jesus, he says, I have come to preach, declare the good news. He's come to set the captives free, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. For him, it wasn't an either-or proposition, which we often get into, you know, physical works of service, ministering to the needs of the people around you, or public proclamation of the gospel. So a lot of times we get into one or the other. We're either out preaching and proclaiming and never ministering to needs, or we're ministering to needs and not preaching and proclaiming. You see in Jesus' ministry, these two go hand in hand, ministering to the physical needs of the people as well as the spiritual needs of the people. The kingdom of God was coming, was in their midst, and it was ministering to them physically and spiritually. And that's how Jesus brings his ministry. As followers of Jesus, as those who are also uh, called as his church, we have to ask the question, so what are we called to do? How are we called to minister? Well, we're called to follow our Lord. We're called to follow him. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so we have to understand that that actually... Public proclamation, if we looked at Matthew chapter 4, 23, the same thing, he says, this is the purpose of my ministry, I've come. Even if we look over at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and following, 18 and 19, we see the purpose of ministry of Jesus is to come and do these two things. Minister to the needs of the people and proclaim the good news of the gospel together. But now what do we do? How do we do this? Because here's the reality. Most of you in this room have not been called or given a platform or a stage or somewhere to preach and proclaim the gospel. Right? But the church has, and there's those in the church who have. And so it needs to happen. The proclamation of the gospel is absolutely necessary. There is no other way by which men can be saved on this earth. If we, all we did is minister to the needs of people, all we become is this anemic, weak, dead, social gospel that does nothing for the souls of people. People need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they hear about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for them, and as God gives them eyes to see and they believe they are saved from their sin, they are saved from death, they're made new people, the Spirit of God comes into them, a new creature is is formed and made, rising from the dead, 
giving new life. This is the only way transformation will happen. And so a lot of times what we think and we think, oh yeah, so what we need to do is just preach because what matters is when the thing that converts and raises people from the dead and makes them new creatures is the declaration of the gospel. So we have to preach until we say yes and amen. We have to declare the gospel. But let's not ever forget this other aspect of Jesus' ministry. At the same time, we also need to be ministering to people's needs and to serving them. It's both and. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do you, how do you, all of us have people that we say we're ministering to people. How is it that they need to hear the gospel? And in our conversations, Dean, as you just said, they go all over the place and we don't really, there's no clear and powerful presentation of the gospel start to finish. Yet there needs to be. How does this happen? Well, this is where the church comes in. Because the best way to deal with this is for the church to have outreach events that are designed for you and me to invite friends and people too, unbelievers too, so they can hear the gospel preached because they need to hear it. And now, if you have an event where the gospel is declared and preached and it's specifically designed from top to bottom, it's well done, it's bathed in prayer, because we know what this is all about. And you invite unbelievers to it. And it can be something that, you know, it's so well done that you're excited to invite people to, to, to it. This is what the church should be doing. It should have something like this because we understand and know the necessity of having the gospel preached and declared. And we also know that it's not what you do in personal conversations. So you're out ministering to the needs of the people and having conversations with them, but you also know that the, the gospel needs to be preached and declared to them. So what do you do? Well, this is where the church says this is what you do. The church, together as a body, should have events designed, services and outreach events designed, so that for the unbeliever to bring them and invite them to so that they could hear a clear and powerful presentation of the gospel. This is a very important ministry for the church to have. Because it, it truly does allow us to go from personal conversation and to invite somebody to like, what do you do after you're having all these conversations with people and you see something at work somewhere that you can invite them to? And then when you do have a clear next step, you have some, you know what, it, what they need to hear the gospel. It allows you to say in conversation something like, Hey, hey, Dave, you know what? We have this event coming up uh, next week at the church. It's a church service, and you would love it. You and your family would love it. You guys should really come. And you know, and you say that because you know this is exactly the place that's designed for them. They're going to love it, and the gospel is going to be declared there. Now, you don't just say, you wouldn't necessarily say that to any everybody you run into, but you definitely would say it, as we're going to see in this, this latter part, to people that you see that God is at work. And this way, you can both have now, it takes attention away as well, you can have your personal conversations that meander and go all, go all over the place, and you can know that the person can hear a, a public proclamation of the gospel, which is essential, which is necessary. This, and, this, and then we go back to Jesus, and we see this is his ministry. You see this. You see his ministering these the people, gathers a big crowd, people are responding, and then they're all together, and he preaches 
the gospel of the kingdom to them, but yet we also see that he has these personal private conversations with people throughout. It allows this all these ministries. There are different times and places. The problem is, is if we fail to have anything like this. If we don't have ministry set up like this, this is one of the major reasons we don't know where to take conversations. We don't know where to take people who we might... We, we might be interacting within our worlds. But also, it's, it, it's a problem. This, this kind of ministry is a problem in most Reformed circles. Because if you think about it, we, we, don't, we don't do this kind of ministry because if you, most Reformed people really like the worship service, Bible studies, and Sunday school. And they put a lot of energy and time into those ministries. Because they're, they're all, usually all about studying, all about learning, all about the word, all about growing up. They're all about an aspect of ministry that is, is totally essential. You, it's, this is an either or proposition, but they focus all their energies on the things that build up believers. And that's great. It's, it's, a, it's an area that needs to be taken care of. Yet, if you look on the other hand, look at a lot of the mega churches. What are they doing? Their primary focus, everything they say, everything they do, everything they're, they're conducting seems to be about reaching the lost. They don't even have, forget worship service, this is a, a seeker-sensitive service. They're so focused on that, they've taken, they take everything, and, and, and we're going to pour everything we have and everything we can into this service so that we can get people in here and they can hear the gospel. They're just, that's what they're about. And oh yeah, how do you disciple? Well, we have small groups. Well, what about the, you know, you ask them, well, where do the believers worship? Where is it they meet with God and come together as the believers? Well, that's small groups. And, and so you see that what, if you look at, like, say, the, what the, they're doing in the mega church world and what a lot of the reform world are doing, we have two ditches, both in, like, mega ditch. And the balance is, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, it was not either or. He reaches the lost, disciples believers, train leaders, and then sends them out to multiply ministry. This balance, that's a healthy church and ministry. You've got to look, are you effectively reaching the lost by ministering to their needs, having conversations with them, and presenting the, declaring the gospel and preaching it to them? Are you doing that? Are you building up believers who respond to the gospel? Do you, do you have what's necessary for them to grow, for them to mature, for them to develop in Christ so that they can become godly? And are you training leaders so that they can go and multiply this ministry and you can commission them to go and do likewise? So unless a church is doing these, the church is not healthy. Jesus said, that you're to follow me, to do as I do. He sends his disciples out to do that very thing. And so, one of the things I just want to say quickly that we're going to do as a church, realizing that we need to grow in this and learn in this and start to develop this, uh, as Mike and I have been talking and planning and wrestling through these issues actually for quite a while now, one of the things is coming up as a perfect event and a time for us to do this is Christmas Eve. One of the biggest times of the year when unbelievers feel compelled like they should go to church is at Christmas time. 
And so a Christmas Eve service from top to bottom designed for them, for us to invite family, friends, and neighbors, and co-workers to come to a place where they're going to hear a gospel, and it's going to be very well done, saturated in prayer, and, and done from top to bottom for them, where we can get everybody on board with this. This is going to be coming up at Christmas Eve. That's what we're going to do this year. And so start praying now for this, praying that God would... You know, as you start your ministry, as you see what, what needs to be done, and, and it, as you start lifting this up to the Lord in prayer, expect God to do great things. Expect Him to do great things. Because this is a part of ministry that we really need to do. Now, lastly, I want to say one thing. One thing about not just observing Jesus' private conversations and the fact they observe His public proclamations, which were a major aspect of His ministry, but also... I want us to, to see that Jesus, in all cases, he was making observations. Now, this is very helpful and important for your ministry. If you're going to have ministry, you've got to learn to see and observe and understand what God is doing. And we've looked at this before. I've brought this out before, but I want to touch on it again in the context of what I'm saying because it's very important. You remember in John chapter 5, 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man could do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. Now, Jesus also said in John chapter 4, 34, that I have come that to do my will of my Father this is my food. My food. My food is to do the will of my Father. So Jesus, what did you hear what he's saying there? What does Jesus do in his ministry? He's looking for where the Father's at work. So with this in mind, Jesus saying, that's what I do. I just come to do my Father's work. I come to do what he's, where he's at work. Work where he's at work. If you're to go back in Luke chapter 4, and you're to, and to look at Luke 4 and how this unfolds, Jesus' observations, it's pretty fascinating. In Luke 4, beginning at verse 16, we see Jesus says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. This is where he's beginning his ministry now. And they read from the Gospel Isaiah. Isaiah 61, and then he says, this is fulfilled in your midst. But now he starts saying some things that are very pointed to these people and very direct. And I want us to notice their response. Look at their response in verse 28 through 30. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They were ticked. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built and they, that they might throw him down off the cliff. Oh, whoa! No pastor ought to ever complain that the people were hard on him. And then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. It wasn't the time for him, so... There's nothing they could do, and they didn't realize they're dealing with the Son of God, and that must have been something else, how he just slips through the crowd and walks away. And then, okay, so what does Jesus do? Does he hang around Nazareth and says, man, these are hard cases. Got to work on these, got to work on these uh, Nazarenes a little bit. No, actually, he, he doesn't go back. 
He leaves. He observes their response. Watch how they responded to what he said, and, and then what does he do? He leaves. Because look at the next verse here. Now we move into uh, verse 31. Then he came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. So now what does he do? He was in Nazareth. Now he heads down to, to Galilee, goes to a different place. And what was he doing there, it says? And was teaching them on the Sabbaths. So he's doing the same thing. He's going and he's teaching them, these people. But now watch the response here. There's somebody in the audience here that hears him. Jesus is preaching away, and somebody's really digging this. And you'll see why. We know this for a fact. Just jump down at verse 38. Notice the response here. Jesus has just been preaching to them there as well. And now he arose from the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now, you don't enter someone's house unless you get an invite. If someone comes to your place after worship, you said to them, would you please come to my home? I'll feed you lunch. I'd love to have you. So he's done preaching. And how does Peter respond to Jesus' preaching? Does does he respond like the Nazarenes? (laughs) Not even close. He's not trying to throw him off a cliff. He's trying to pull him into his house. And so he has him into his house. And you know that Peter's eager. You know that Peter's probably like, say more. And this is, this is amazing. It's blowing his mind. And he's just completely zealously engaged. And Jesus observes this. And then Jesus pursues and goes after him. This is what we see if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, that Jesus here has this encounter with Peter and James and John the fishermen in the boats. Push out, he tells them to push out into the water and lower down your nets. But they had been fishing all day. And he's like, they're thinking, hello, we haven't caught anything. Fished all day. We're fishermen, you're not. Just, just saying. <laughs> they're out in the boats and bam, barely offshore. The nets are so full they can't drag them in. Drag them in. The boats are sinking. And now Peter's like, we, we are in the presence of somebody that is um, scaring me. Oh, my Lord. Who? It's like, <laughs> Jesus, this is clearly an act of God. This isn't right. This is unbelievable. And what Peter, and sorry, what Jesus does is says, he keeps observing. He's watching Peter's response. And he sees how he responds to what he's doing. And Peter tells the disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see how these nets were, were, were filled to the full? He brought them in. I wouldn't doubt, just kind of the way God does, there's probably 3,000 fish in that net. Why? Who pulls in 3,000 fish day one at Pentecost? Peter. 3,000 were saved that day. It just, Peter is a man that responds to Jesus, and Jesus sees this. And Jesus does this. Remember also with Peter? He says to him later on, he says, "Uh, who do you say that I am? Jesus is testing. He's looking for response. What does Peter say? Oh, you you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? He he observes, and he says, Blessed are you, Peter Barjona, for this was not revealed to you from by, through flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Testing 
observing and seeing the response. Blessed are you. Why, Peter? Why was he blessed? Because this was from this was from the Father. I'm seeing the Father at work in you. The Father is at work in you. And now, you guys also know that in Luke chapter 10, when I was preaching through there, I talked about this as well, where Jesus sends his disciples out to go and do the same thing. He's expanding ministry. And, and remember what he told them there as I went through that? He says, go, what do you do? Go, heal the sick, cast out demons, do all this ministry, and declare to them the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, when you do this, as you're doing this, what were they to look for? Look and observe. He's teaching them, do, learn to observe, learn to watch what's happening. Look for the person of peace. Watch how they respond to you. Now, in saying all this, how does this affect you in life and ministry? When you are ministering to people, you're ministering to the needs of people, and you're interacting with people and having conversation with people, don't be a bulldozer. Don't push into somebody's life. Observe and watch what's going on. How are they responding to you? If you say to somebody, hey, could, could I pray for you? I love to pray for people. Can I pray for you? And they say, uh, no, thanks. I, I really, I do not believe in God, and I do not like people praying for me. It happens. It happens. Do, do you say, oh, a tough one. <laughs> I got to go after this one and get them. No, you should say, God is not at work here, at least not right now. Move on. Now, if you said that to someone, they say, you know what, would you pray for me? I would love that. That would be amazing. I would really appreciate that. What does that tell you? Hello? Observe. Ding, 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 ding. The Father could clearly be at work here. That's a person you, you pursue and go after. And I've seen this in my own life, and I can tell you story after story where I've messed this up and pursued with people and spent so much time with people. They were hard-hearted. They were against the gospel, but I just kept you, I just studied another book on apologetics and tried another angle. It's, it's foolhardy and it lacks tremendous wisdom. It's not seeing and observing what Jesus did in his ministry. Jesus was always, he says, I've come to do my Father's will. This is God's mission, not your mission. God's at work. He doesn't need you. But he says, it's really cool when you can kind of come alongside of me and I use you. So just watch. I'm at work in the world. Watch and observe. And so as you minister to people, you watch and you observe what God is doing. You have conversations. And then you can even, it works everywhere, watch how people respond to you and to the message you bring. Watch how they respond. And as you watch how they respond, you're seeing where God is at work. And then you start to see, by using and applying this wisdom, this is one of those incredible things you could ever do, is get involved in people's lives and watch God work through you in their lives as you use and apply this wisdom. And you, you do it with one person. You minister to some people, and, and you start observing. You find some people that maybe are, are responding to you. You find one person. You see that one person, and you, and you invest in that one person. You see that person come to know the Lord. You're hooked for life. And the thing, the thing is, is that I want you people to know how this is not difficult. If there's anyone here who thinks this is incredibly difficult, I don't know where to start, it's not. You don't go out preaching the gospel with your mouth. You go out and you minister to the needs of people. You try to say, if you can do one thing, please do this. Say, God, please, this be your prayer. Pray it, pray it until he answers you. Show me somebody I can minister to. 
and then minister to them in some way. Watch their response. If it's, if it's negative or there's no, no connection, you're not seeing God at work, move on. And just continue to pray. Minister to people. You can do this. We can all, believe me, you can all, you can minister to people. Minister to people. And as you minister, watch and observe the response. And then, and then look for where God is at work and see God at work and then develop a relationship with that person and have some conversations with that person and then invite them to what it is we're doing so they could hear the gospel. There's not a person in this room who couldn't do that. It's simple. But the question is, are we going to just start, continue passing by people and going about life doing our own thing? Are we actually going to pray and ask God and look around and find places and people that we could actually minister to and see where God is at work? Because if you begin doing that, you will start to see God use you in people's lives. And you'll be hooked. Amen. Father, we're so thankful and grateful. We praise you that we are called on this incredible mission with you to be, to join you, to participate with you in what it is you're doing in this world. I ask and I pray for every person here this morning, O oh Lord, that you would, you would encourage their hearts, that you would excite them, that they would see that how glorious it is to be on mission with you, that they would, that you would give each one here opportunities to minister to the people around them that you've placed in the world. And you would give them eyes to see and discernment that they could see where it is you're at work. And then from there, that they would begin to see, grant them, O oh Lord, to see the blessing of someone coming to know you and, uh, and following you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.